today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Going back and forth as we look at this. It is a participation with the deepest kind of commitments. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, the Greek culture, they understood that koinonia was a committed friendship, a committed friendship with devoted care and a lasting concern for that individual. That's the kind of relationship that they were having together, committed friendship devoted care, and lasting concern. And true koinonia, I believe, is just living life together. Living in the earliest days of the new believing church was incredibly difficult. But one thing that kept them strong, kept them growing, and kept them secure was their devotion to fellowship with each other and to prayer and teaching. Pastor David will point out today that they were so impacted by these things that the early church spread far and wide. Be involved in each other's lives, show committed friendship, and spend time to grow together. The world will know you're Christ's disciple by how well you love each other. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Biblical Church. Again, the great picture of God giving his son, his only son. And yet we know that just as Abraham was about to slay his own son, God told him to stop. I just want to make sure that you'd be willing to follow me. I provided already a sacrifice. And isn't that the reality? That's what Christ is. Christ is the sacrifice for us. So from the Old Testament, they're able to draw these things. Then we go from Isaac to Isaac's son, Jacob, who later became known as Israel. And from Israel, he has these 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet we see in those 12 men, the one son, Joseph. And if you remember the picture, if you can just put the picture together, Joseph was, quote unquote, sacrificed by those he was a part of. He was sold into slavery. He was, he was literally told his father that he was dead. He was sold into slavery. And what we find out in the story of Joseph, that even in the midst of his sacrifice, that allowed him, if you get the picture, to save his family as he rose up in the ranks there in Egypt. He was then during the midst of the famine to be able to provide food and nourishment and forgiveness for his family. Through, again, the sacrifice of Joseph came the salvation or the saving of his family. What a picture of Christ that is. Oh, and by the way, You understand, Joseph, as he rose up there in Egypt and had all the resources available, his brothers had to come to him. His brothers had to make that decision. They had to make that determination. No, I'm not going to die here. I'm going to go to the one that offers salvation. 
And what that too is a picture of Christ. He is willing to save any that come to him. If anyone comes to him, he will in no wise cast out, the word tells us. The brothers had to come to Joseph, and when they came, Joseph not only offered them forgiveness, but gave them food and nourishment. 400 years fast forward to the time of Moses. Moses, a guy who felt, man, yes, we need to save the people. And again, Moses goes out and he tries to do it on his own, on his own strength, on his own ability, and he messes up again. And once again, God's saying, no, you can't do this on your own. We're not going to do this by the power of man. And so God sent him for 40 years to humble him, to help him to understand, man, it's not in my strength, but it's by the power of God. And so through Moses, deliverance came. And that deliverance came through, again, God using Moses to bring these 10 plagues, these miracles from the hand of God, not the hand of Moses, but the hand of God. And the greatest of these is being, again, that time of Passover, that sacrifice of the lamb. And God told him, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And beloved, that's the very story of Christ, that when judgment comes, if he sees the blood in your life, the fact that you've surrendered your life to him, then the very wrath of God passes over you. And as they were saved out of the bondage of Pharaoh, God continued to work through them, gave them the sacrificial system, that through that sacrificial system, they could see the reality of what God was going to provide in the fullness of the Messiah. And as the apostles are teaching this to these Jewish men, I could just see the light bulbs going on and on and just the amazement as they saw the reality of all that they have learned for all of these years, all of these generations has been fulfilled completely in the Messiah. We look at these and even in the sacrifices, they knew that those temporary sacrifices, they were just that, they were temporary. They could only take care of things for a while. They had to be done over and over and over and over again. But even as the book of Hebrews tells us, in Jesus that sacrifice was made once and for all, complete. Never again to have to be made because Jesus' sacrifice was complete for all of our sins. And on and on the history of Israel goes literally as his story. The story of redemption for all of mankind till God brought his son, his son as a sacrifice. We'd look at this in this didache of, of the apostles leading these Jewish converts into understanding just the completeness of the story of Jesus Christ as that promised one, the anointed one, the, the Messiah, the, the Christ. And the people continued steadfastly, constantly devoted to the apostles' doctrine. But they were also continuing steadfastly and constantly devoted to fellowship. To fellowship. That's not just hanging out with one another, but it definitely involves with hanging out with one another. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. For fellowship, for gathering together, for sharing meals together, for breaking bread together, for having that time. Koinonia is translated in about four different ways. That idea with the understanding of sharing with one another, having fellowship with one another, communion even, and that contribution. And even on that idea of contribution, it speaks of a, a partnership, a 
participation where it's not only what I'm giving, but it's also what I'm receiving. There's both of these. In true koinonia, in true fellowship, there's a giving and a receiving. It's a going back and forth as we look at this. It is a participation with the deepest kind of commitments. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, the Greek culture, they understood that koinonia was a committed friendship. A committed friendship with devoted care and a lasting concern for that individual. That's the kind of relationship that they were having together. Committed friendship, devoted care, and lasting concern. And true koinonia, I believe, is just living life together. Not just some occasional meeting. Not just, oh, every Sunday, this is the church that I attend. And I come and for an hour and a half or so, or the preacher's really long-winded, an hour and 45 minutes, and I sit in my designated place, and when it's all over, I leave. Beloved, that's not what koinonia is. That's not what fellowship is. That's not what being a part of the body of Christ was ever designed to be, ever Being a part of the body of Christ is true koinonia, living life together, having this idea of this understanding of family type of fellowship. And beloved, that is the expression of true life within the church. That we become more than just casual acquaintances. But we are actually tied in together, even as Paul tells us in Romans and in Corinthians. No, we are the body of Christ in each part adding what it should part. And when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice together. Let me ask you, do you really think we're even close to that? I don't think so. I think we've got a long way to go. Yeah, it's spending time together. It's fellowshipping together. It's growing together. It's becoming involved in one another's life. Fellowship with one another, living life with one another. And beloved, that can only happen really when a true humility comes into every one of our lives. A humility that, as Paul tells us in Romans, that we not to think too highly of ourselves. You see, too often it's easy to come and say, well, I'm going to fellowship with him and her, but I'm not going to fellowship with him, you know, uh, not him. When in reality, Paul's saying, you know what? So who are you? Christ died for them just as he died for you. Do you have a greater standard than Christ does? Do you have a more chosen uh, relationship because, again, your standards are higher than, than Christ in his love? He died for the world. The blood of Christ covers them as well as it does for them. We have to have true love for one another And in that love, there's got to be that growing of relationship. Beloved, how it must grieve the very heart of God when people come into the fellowship and they feel alone in the midst of a crowd because there's no connection. They come in and they go out. And then it's far too easy, it's far too easy to blame them for not joining in rather than realizing, no, it's up. It's the responsibility of the whole of the body to reach out in koinonia for each other. 
When we come into a place and we see someone who's sitting on their own or sitting apart, man, do we say, well, good, I don't have to deal with that person. Or is the heart of Christ in us who is willing to leave the 99 and go and get that one? who's willing to reach out to a Samaritan woman who he knew, and she's already got five husbands, she's living with a guy, not her husband, man, her life's a mess. Ooh, I'm not going to touch that. But Jesus came and ministered to her. Jesus came and touched her. Jesus came and loved on her. How less should we be that same way? The one area that our Lord said that the world would know that we are his disciples was because we would come to church on a regular basis. Amen? That's that's not what it says, no. He says the one way that the world will know that you are my disciples is by your love one for another. And it's not just for the love for the lovely. Let's be real honest here, okay? Some of us are unlovely. Difficult to love. Nigh on impossible to love. As a matter of fact, it it becomes so difficult, so hard to love some that it's only by the grace of God and by the power of God that we can love. Got to move on, got to finish this up. That fellowship, that coming together, yeah, it included meals, it included time together. Just like most of our fellowships, we try to throw food in there somehow. That's why we call it calorie chapel, okay? We love to be able to break bread. Well, that breaking of bread also dealt with this idea of communion, of of coming to the Lord's table. I believe that the believers, they continued steadfastly. They were constantly devoted to that breaking of bread. Why? Because that breaking of bread, coming to the Lord's table, that, that bread, that cup, again, reminded them, spoke to them, declared to them once again, man, the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf. When the church came together, historically we know that most often they would come together and they would have what was called an agape meal or an agape fest. Uh, a time of sharing their love for each other by sharing a meal together. Agape is the Greek word for love. It was a time of coming and demonstrating their love for each other. And it wasn't just the kind of ushy-gushy kind of love. No, it was a love with the highest understanding of sacrificial type love. The kind of love that only God works in and through us. Because you see, sometimes I have a hard time loving you. As a matter of fact, there's some of you I can't love. (laughs) But it's the love of God working through me that allows me to love. See, it's not in my own ability. Because if it was up to me, listen, let's face it, if it was up to you, only the ones that you want, man, only the ones that you get get along with, only the ones that you're kind of familiar with, and, and anybody else, nah, I don't want them. But that's not what God has called us to be. God has called us to love one another, love one another without exclusion in the same way that he loved us. That's what agape is. That's why I can't do it on my own. That's why I have to, again, be being filled with the Holy Spirit continually in order that he might work these things in and through. And in the process of that, one of the last things, the prayers, being continued steadfastly, constantly devoted to prayers. And again, that whole idea of prayers, not the rote prayers, not a book of prayers, not going through a series of prayers, but really and truly heartfelt prayers that when it comes together, we understanding, no man, we are touching 
approaching heaven with this. We want to have an audience with the very king of glory when we come together in our prayers. The prayers of the saints have always been the power of the church. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless saint is a powerless saint. It's through the prayers, again, that we are strengthened. We look back in the 120 focused on prayer, seeking the Lord, seeking the promise of the Lord, seeking the power of the Lord, and when he came and how it moved them and strengthened them. It was through the consistent and the persistent prayers of the saints that, that we see the, the, the power of God. We experience the power of God within our own lives, and we see and experience the hand of God move in a variety of situations. These prayers are both public prayers as well as private prayers. These prayers are corporate prayers. When we come together, we're all praying together for the same thing or the same direction, but then also those personal prayers that within our own lives, those issues within our own lives. Beloved, we see that through the prayers of the saints, the Holy Spirit set some men apart for ministry. Through the prayers of the saints, God delivered some from prison. Not all of them, but some of them. And that's one of the things that we need to understand really quickly here. If you look in the earlier chapters of Acts, James was arrested and James was beheaded. Wasn't the church praying for James? Because we read just shortly after that that Peter gets arrested and it talks about the church praying for Peter and then Peter is released. Well, shame on you, church. How come you weren't? I believe that they were. I believe they were praying for James. Somehow in the great plan and the economy and the direction of God, James was beheaded, Peter was released. The prayers of the saint saw physical healings taking place, but not everyone that they prayed for was healed. Some were supernaturally, powerfully, and even today as we pray, sometimes God brings us supernatural healing, but sometimes he doesn't. How do we deal with that? Other than understanding, you know what, God, I surrender all of this to you. Don't ever come up to me, please, and say, well, the reason that that didn't happen is because you didn't have enough faith, okay? Because I learned a long time ago a great way to get through that. The individual that says that, you just take a two-by-four, <laughs> hit them square in the forehead, and say, you know what? If you had enough faith, that wouldn't have hurt. <laughs> we look through the Word of God, and we see Epaphroditus that Paul says, man, he nearly died. Because just, again, his work and his care and concern for the body. He had some physical ailments. We look at Timothy. Paul, don't, don't you have enough faith to pray for Timothy? No, he told Timothy, take a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. Why? Don't you have enough faith? Can't God heal him? Yeah, God can heal him, and we prayed for him, but it hasn't come about, so let's be reasonable about this thing. Prayers, how important they are. And the prayers to be given boldness, to be able to stand, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of trial. Paul told Timothy, man, you need, first of all, man, you need to have supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks need to be made for all men. After times of persecution, the church would come together and they would pray, not, not for release from persecution, but for boldness to continue declaring the word of God even in the midst of it. Beloved, as a church, was faithful in all of these areas. As they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers, 
God moved upon them in power. And I feel that it was an absolute and a positive result of the church's steadfastness and of their devotion that we read the following words, those final words there in Acts chapter 2. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Let me stop real quick. I need to throw this in there. That wasn't communism. All that you have is mine and all that I have is mine. No, that's not the idea of what was going on there. What the idea was is there was such a great love and care and compassion for each other. They realized, man, if you're struggling in this area, you know what, I I got some stuff over here. I can sell these things and I can help you out. Or I've got the cash to be able to help you with this. This wasn't that everybody sold everything and brought it into the church and it was distributed. No, we're going to look at that as we get further into Acts of how that in practicality worked. But there was what this is is an outflow of the care and the love that was there. They continued, verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. They continued steadfast. They were constant in their devotion that led them to come together daily with one accord, breaking bread from house to house, praising God, having favor with all people. And because of that, the Lord began adding to the church daily those who were being saved. It wasn't that they had a big evangelism campaign. It wasn't that they come and pumped everybody up. It was because of that continual growth of the body of Christ, and it became a natural outflow for them, or should I say a supernatural outflow for them of what God was doing in their lives, and they touched the lives of the people around them. Once again, it's not a church growth plan, but it's men and women that were living out their devotion to the Lord, practicing the very presence of Jesus on a daily basis. And beloved, because they were practicing the presence of Jesus on a daily basis, their lives were dramatically changed. Their routines changed. Suddenly some things were no longer as important as they used to be. The important things of life suddenly took a whole change of of understanding and ideas. Their entire lifestyles changed. Beloved, that's what we see in the fleshing out of this biblical model of what the church ought to be. It's the church in action. That's the biblical church. And you know what? I believe that we, Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, we're far from it. Oh, we're doing some things right. We're doing some things good. Don't get me wrong. But I believe that God is leading us to much more. And for some of you, this becomes almost nerve-wracking. So what do you mean by that, Pastor? What's going to happen? The very strangeness of allowing the Spirit of God to work through you and connecting your life with people, with part of this body, that this body would truly and actually become a family of believers. And our care and our concern for each other becomes dramatically different than, hey, good morning, how are you today? Good to see you. Hey, good morning, how are you today? Good to-. And then on we go, rather than really and truly becoming involved in each other's lives. 
really and truly living life together. That's the power of the church, beloved. The power of the church is not theater. The power of the church is Holy Spirit life within the believer. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love, too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word. The Open Word.